Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Welcome back to PR360. Our guest today is Gustavo Ariano, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times covering Southern California, a bunch of the West and beyond. He previously worked at OC Weekly, where he was an investigative reporter for 15 years, editor for six, and wrote a nationally syndicated column called Ask a Mexican. He's also the author of Taco USA, How Mexican Food Conquered America, and most recently he co-authored A People's Guide to Orange County. He's the child of two Mexican immigrants, one of whom came to this country in the trunk of a Chevy. Did I miss anything? No, you got my entire life right there, at least professional life. Okay, good. So, you know, on this show, we tend to go over things that are kind of PR-focused, marketing-focused, and as somebody who has deep roots and deep connections to Orange County, where our company, GRC, is located, you lamented in your recent book, A People's Guide to Orange County, that Orange County is almost severely overlooked in the history of the greater Los Angeles area. Uh, Why do you think OC has gotten a short shrift? Los Angeles is always going to be very, or Los Angeles is very much in love with itself. And (laughs) anything that is not part of Los Angeles, they're going to ignore, especially the major media markets. So Inland Empire doesn't exist. There are a bunch of, you know, white trash in their mentality, even though none of this is real, by the way. Orange County, super white, super conservative, super wealthy, even though Orange County has been majority minority now for about what? 20 years and so forth. So if since they exclude those, then of course you're not going to be paying attention to all of that. But also part of the problem has been Orange County itself because Orange County, we are 33 cities. We do, for the most part, tend to stick in our geographic regions. Very few people try to think of Orange County as a holistic thing, in other words, the entirety of it, or they try to sell a particular version of Orange County and not what's really happening throughout its entirety. And that's something that's always fascinated me, not just as someone who was born and raised here, but then spent the majority of their professional career covering that Orange County. And now as someone who covers more Los Angeles, of course, I'm still I'm still interested in Orange County because I still live here and I plan to always live here. So. Yeah, L.A. L.A. doesn't know what it's missing. I still get oh geez, I still get um, people saying like oh you you know you don't get L.A. because you're from Orange County. It's like <laughs> what kind of dumb what kind of dumb thought process is that? You know? Yeah. Well, it's like I live in Long Beach, so I feel like I'm kind of like trying to mediate what's happening. <laughs> the best of both worlds and the worst of both worlds. I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah. Somebody the other day said. It was it was a guy was working on my house, and he says, "Actually, I love working with the Long Beach people because they're not as terrible as the LA or the, or the Orange County people." He just <laughs> uh, like that. Now, let's see here. If if you were to create a PR campaign for Orange County that really sold people on really what it was, if you're talking to tourists, or if you just wanted to let the people know on the other side of the border in Los Angeles that there's something yeah. here, uh, what would you do? 
Well, you do the obvious stuff, of course. Our beaches, Laguna is my favorite beach, but all of them has their, you know, all of them have their own quirks and their own uh, beauty to them. But also, just some of, and then I also I do not like rides, so I personally am not going to Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm, but I know people do, so you got to promote that as well. But also, just promote the different histories and different food things. I'm a big food person. I mean, I was a food critic for the OC Weekly forever, so it's like you give them your walking tour. Go to Little Saigon. Here's all this great food, but also here's some history of. Of this very vibrant community go here's this taco crawl mostly santana but also spilling into orange and you know in anaheim little arabia largest community of middle easterners in the united states uh west of detroit here's all along brookhurst this whole oh, wait, area oh is they, that in, in oh that's on brookhurst like Fountain yeah, Valley? Brookhurst, all of brookhurst brookhurst between uh la palma going down to garden grove boulevard and of course all the side streets around that you know so very much based on food then if you want music then okay costa mesa nightlife costa mesa so obviously there's different communities that want to hear different things but if you want to do like a big huge campaign i think orange county's best the things that we can brag about the most is the nature, so beach, hiking, the people, so the different cities, and the food. I right. think that. Because other people say, like, oh, it's a great place for great education, and not everyone cares about education. That's a And that's a different campaign. Oh, it's a nice place to live. Well, other places have nice places to live as well. Give me something that no one else has. And I would argue that what, like, art, like, L.A. County beaches, at least the ones you could get to, not like in Malibu where they try to chase you away. Our <laughs> beaches are open to almost anyone, unless those like small cove communities in Laguna Beach. But if you know someone, you know how to get in. Yeah, it's like I'm in Long Beach and we go to Seal Beach if we want to go to the beach. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a quiet little beach town, you know, with great cinnamon rolls at Sweet Jill's. <laughs> and it's funny, we're talking about Orange County. I saw on Twitter that you were uh, sounding off on the owner of the Angels. What do you think are the chances the Angels move to Long Beach? You know, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the mayor of Long Beach, the new guy, Rex Richardson, he has other things that he has to worry about first because the owner of the Angels, Artie Moreno, he wants money. He wants either hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies to pay for his new stadium or he wants some sort of deal that maybe won't put money up front but will help him do that. And I just don't think it. I, I don't think Long Beach wants to do that right now. Other cities across the United States definitely will. Uh, you know, Tennessee, where there's been all this attention of, of Californians moving, or especially California companies moving to Tennessee. Well, one of the reasons those companies are doing it is because Tennessee is giving out, has given out billions of dollars in taxpayer subsidy one way or another to uh, grease those wheels to, you know, to get out there. And look, if you run a company and you, ha you have a state saying, hey, we'll give you a whole bunch of money if you come over here, you as a CEO, if you could get that money, of course you're going to do that. It's not that you necessarily hate uh, the state that you're at. It's like you're just going for the better deal. Yeah, yeah. People in California, they don't have to dole, dole out a bunch of money to sports teams because there, there there's no uh, small man's complex. You know, there's we're already the <laughs> major league city. We don't need to prove it by having a team. But maybe if you're in Nashville, you know. Or Vegas. Yeah, you know. if, I'm sorry to my cousins who love the Angels, but no one cares about the Angels either. It's you know you're you're wearing a Dodgers hat right now, and you're in Long Beach. This is Dodgers town. Like Angels, Angels used to be a good team. Moreno was good, and then he just went downhill and fast, and now he's just an embarrassment. Yeah, it's the the, the death spiral of owners. They seldom come out of that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. uh, and now to talk about something a little bit 
the, I guess people in the PR community or people in marketing, I figure that you're the perfect person to ask this to because it's a debate that's gone on in kind of the newsrooms I've worked at. Um, as somebody who wrote the popular Ask a Mexican column, uh, what yeah. do you think about the term Latinx? As it, Latinx, yeah. Latinx. See, I, I can't even say it right. So, you know. <laughs> People need to realize, and again, most people don't know their history, but this war over what to call this group of people is something that's been going on for over a century. I'm just going to take people with roots in Mexico. This is what we've called ourselves in the United States. Latinx, Chicano, Latino, Latin America, Spanish, Spanish-speaking, Chicano, that's eight right there. Uh, Hispanic, can't forget Hispanic. That's eight. And then every once in a while, American. And all <laughs> those terms, people have, the, at one point, those ter each of those terms were controversial. And then they get used and then they get discarded as someone, uh, as someone creates a new term that they feel better fits who they are. So I know a lot of people say like, oh, Latinx, well, you know, it doesn't real. It's not Spanish, and that's offensive. They were saying the same thing about Chicano. They were saying the same thing about Hispanic. Me personally, I don't identify with Latinx. That's not something I grew up with. Maybe check in with me in twenty years. Mm -hmm. Maybe I will. I, you know. But in fairness, I also don't identify as Hispanic. Hispanic is not anything I ever grew up with. So why why would people want to identify? or embrace something that they don't identify with. To put it on the PR uh, world, I've seen a lot of organizations embrace that term in their in their uh, campaigns of Latinx, above Latino or Hispanic. I would only say know who your market is. You see the you know you know you see the uh, the Pew Hispanic Center. They did a or now it's called yeah it's called the Pew Hispanic Center. Uh, they did a poll showing that something to the effect of only 4% of Latinos identify as Latinx, but of those 4%, a quarter of that population are people under the age of 25. Uh. So if you're going to do a campaign like that, maybe do it for the young people. But if you're trying to use Latinx for folks who are in their 60s, a little bit more moderate, yeah, they're not going to like your product. Yeah, that was the thing. Uh, I do writing for Upworthy on the side, and that was yeah. one of the discussions. Was like, well, if only four percent of a community is embracing this term, then why are we going to use it in a headline? And then also, just you know, for mere uh, practicality, why are we going to put it in a headline when a lot of people don't know what the heck it means? You know? Yeah, that I see. I don't buy that one just because I think media organizations. They should always be reporting what's on the ground. So, for instance, one of my favorite covers of all time was in Sports Illustrated with Joe Cap, uh, legendary Minnesota's Viking, Minnesota Vikings quarterback, one of the few Mexican American quarterbacks ever. And you know, mm -hmm. he never won a Super Bowl, but he was just great. And so they did this awesome headline or uh, on the cover, on the cover called "The Toughest Chicano," and this is 1970, a point where the term Chicano was only associated with revolutionaries and communists. So if and Sports Illustrated is not exactly the most radical publication, but they no. were doing it to emphasize whatever particular point. I've never, I've never read the story. I should check it out, but just seeing it at that. So again, I would just say, I don't even think you have to pick just one term and stick with it. Use it to whatever extent you need to use, and use it. You know, again, know who your audience is, but sometimes it's also good to challenge your audience too. 
Yeah. Uh, and and again, I'm sorry, but like Latinx, like it's not so hard to figure out what it means. It's like, right. come on. People know. People know. Uh, well, you know, it's like we were using it in a nation, you know, a publication that goes nationwide and worldwide, you know, so you're getting a lot of, you know, somebody in England might look at Latinx and go, what, you know, what is, what is happening here? Yeah. Uh, there was also, I think one of the criticisms, I have a, due to my construction, my dogs are in here, so you might hear this whining. No worries. Like, I got dogs too, so it's not a problem. Uh, one of the, the criticisms of the term Latinx was that it basically, it degenders the language, right, versus Latino and Latina. And Spanish is obviously a highly gendered language, which, you know, obviously then seeps into culture, right? So is it almost offensive to look down on the culture by saying, look, we're, we're, we're pulling out a big part of your culture in our new uh, PC term or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. well, the, the people who are doing that pulling out are those very people themselves. People try to make this out to be like, oh, it was created by liberal white people. No, it was actually created by Latinos themselves, a lot of LGBTQ folks. And so who's to say that they do not have the right to call themselves whatever they want? And this is what I tell people. It's like, if you want me to call you Latinx, I will call you Latinx. I'm not going to call myself Latinx, so you should also respect my decision to assume that I should uh, call myself what you call yourself just because you call yourself is preposterous. And then to accuse anyone who doesn't want to use that term of being homophobic or anything is is preposterous. It's absolutely right. preposterous. Okay. Well, that's good. I, now, I think you've uh, turned me around <laughs> a little bit on that next time I... Uh... Want to stick that in a headline? You know? Nuance again. Going back to Orange County, nuances. Oh. We, we as humans and especially as Americans, we hate nuance. We love a world of black and white, and anything that muddles that, people start running around like, "Oh my God, what are we going to do? Oh my God, we actually have to think." Heaven forbid. That's the last thing we want to do. Yeah, I think the brain isn't handled to match to to have nuance. We're, we, you know, we want to <laughs> we want to think heuristically. This is good. This is bad. This is you know. Um, and so what do you think are some of the things that marketers get wrong when addressing the Latino, Latinx, Chicano, Hispanic community? <laughs> all of those markets. Yeah. Well, again, language. People assume like, oh, let's just do all of our advertising in Spanish and that's going to get us everyone. No. You're, if you only do marketing in Spanish, you're mostly going to hit only Spanish speakers and people who only speak Spanish or prefer Spanish because all by most most bilingual folks like myself, we consume almost everything in English. Of course, we still go in Spanish, but I always tell people like, what language do you dream in? If you dream in English, mm. you're going to be spending the, ma the vast majority of your time consuming English language products. If you're in Spanish, then it's going to be Spanish. So again, so know exactly what the audience is. No, also the nuances. I mean, I see this a lot now. Like AT&T actually does this really good job of like they'll have Latino actors, but they don't quote unquote do anything Latino. They're just there. Just <laughs> like random people. They show up. I'm like, oh, it looks like my cousin. Okay, I like AT&T. And you know the ad I'm talking about. It's like with the uh, young woman with the black hair who's kind of funny in a corny way. And you see the commercials and you smile, but you don't really laugh because they're not they're not like Geico commercial funny. They're right. just kind of cute, you know, nice funny. But then one time for the World Cup, all of a sudden they have uh, Chicharito, Javier, you know, uh, one of the great uh, soccer players from Mexico. 
and they just speak in Spanish. He speaks in Spanish, and then one of the 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 AT and T ladies coworkers is also speaking in Spanish, and then they both speak in English. I like that commercial a lot, and I'm like, okay, this whoever did this was smart, and they sold their bosses like, hey, look, this is going to work. And it was all about video games. There was nothing Mexican about it. It was just video games, like some made up video game, like want to be Call of Duty or whatever. So, I think that's a younger associate of whoever the marketing team was for AT&T going to their bosses. And I could only imagine them pushing like, no, do it this way and getting some resistance. But then at the end, the bosses were obviously smart because they let it happen. So I would also say to firms, listen to the younger workers, listen to the younger Latino folks, the people who can navigate both worlds. Like more often than not, like they'll have great ideas, especially when they're young. Maybe they do have to be finessed. That's where the veterans get in there, but listen to those. And your marketing will go much further than just thinking, oh, it could only be this or it could only be that. Yeah, and that also comes down comes down to just of recent how people have been trying to push down the barriers to not just have marketing PR be you know just a a, a bunch of old white guys, right? When yeah. you get brilliant ideas like that, when somebody who's young who's who's bilingual is making is in the room, and um, and it's it's always funny because I, I always look and you see that it's like twenty five percent of the country is you know spanish speaking or or you know latino but yet the representation in terms of just pop culture or or anything that's why there's an instagram feed called uh, foo's gone wild yeah 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 i know them and it's like the funniest thing in the world and i think the whoever does it who's a mystery literally uh does a brilliant job at like communicating the the humor the very unique kind of humor of the, the Latino community. And it's somebody that even like, you know, as a white guy here, I get it because that's half of my friends, right? Yeah. Are, are people like that. And and it's very weird to me that that has such a kind of a small niche thing when it's 25% of the country, right? And But these things are still relegated way to the side, which is um, unbelievable that someone would just wouldn't well, want to exploit it. Like there's money in this. There's gold in these hills, right? It's not even about affirmative action. It's not even about diversity. It's really about dollars and cents. Do you want campaigns that the majority of the population or a big chunk of the population are going to embrace because it speaks to them? Then you're going to do all that divert the DEI work. You're going to do all of that because you and, and like and I personally like from you know because we have this issue in journalism as well our newsrooms do not look like the communities we're supposed to serve and does that mean that only latinos can work in latino stuff no not at all but you need to go get those community members and bring them in like yourself like you know you're saying like oh yeah that's half of my friends who are latinos well if you're up in southern california depending on where you're at like so for instance me here in orange county i'm from anaheim so Yes, I'm very Mexican, but I'm also, you know, the part of what I embrace is Central American culture because I grew up with Salvadorans and Costa Ricans. I also had Vietnamese friends. So you grew up with pho, you grew up with Pad Thai, and you get and a lot of Filipinos, especially at uh, the church that I went or used to go to, St. Boniface. So you get those little parts of other cultures, and it becomes part of who you are as a Southern Californian. So do, does that mean I know the other cultures completely? No, but it's part of that, and I know the value of it. So you you have to, you again, who, I mean, especially for marketing, you want to market for everyone. Yes. And you get different clients, but it's like, get people who are going to look like your area. And if it's going to be the United States, well, get people who look like the United States and sure that, but if you're going to be working mostly specific 
specifically in the American Southwest, well, that's majority. There's a lot of Latinos there, and most of those are Mexican Americans. So no, it's the, instead of doing all this research on that market, all you have to hire is young people who are from that market. You right. Know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I've got notes here because I'm a professional, Gustavo. That's why I've got notes. Here. Of course, that's the way to do it. That's right. Um, to to change things up a little bit and get into social media, I obviously uh, follow you on Twitter and you. You tweet a lot. You are a very robust user of the of the platform, like a lot of people <laughs> in journalism. Do you have specific do's and don'ts, or are you just uh, whatever you feel like doing? Or is there a is there a logic to it? My bosses don't like me getting in fights with people, so I don't get in fights with people as as much as I used to. Oh, it's I mean. People want to talk trash on Twitter, but honestly, at this point, it's the only, only social media that I care for. Instagram is or Meta is so uh, capricious in what it cracks down on and what it mm. doesn't, and I'm just ti- I'm frankly tired of both of them. Um, I only do Instagram Live because that's fun, and even then, I've been cracked down. It's, it's just ridiculous. Twitter. I always liked Twitter because it was a free-for-all. And yeah, people are like, oh, Elon Musk is going to allow all these other people to come in. I'm like, yes, good. Bring in all these weirdos and start fighting. But since I work now at the Los Angeles Times, I do have to be more adult. (laughs) So I'm allowed one and done. So if people try to talk trash on me, I'll quote tweet them and then just mute them. And I never have to deal with them again. And that's that. So I would just say, um, because my bosses will say like, oh, you know, you could just be so much more productive. I'm already very productive, but like, that's what they'll say. So it's like, all right, but this is still part of the, and especially now my persona on Twitter as it is, it's I'm I'm cantankerous. I do random takes. I'll get in gift wars with people. I've been in a gift war with like 40 people for five years. And so (laughs) some people have said, I had to mute you because I'll receive like 30 retweets in a row from you, all just random gifts. I'm like, yeah, it's fun. It's dumb. It's silly. That's what I do. So I think though, in terms of obviously don'ts, well, don't tweet out. I'll just say it like this. Don't tweet out something that you're not willing to stand by in five years or explain in five years one way or another. Do interact with the people who truly follow you. You'll find that out very quickly who Mm -hmm. your true follow. I call them the real G's. (laughs) Do know who your real G's are. Do have a presence there. You don't have to tweet nonstop every day, but you should be tweeting daily, especially if you have something to um, to promote or to defend or anything like that. Do, do make yourself a presence so you grow it that way. And then you'd be surprised by, I mean, just getting one person, one person to start reading you and buying your book or buying your product that's one more person than before. That's a win. And yeah. yes, I do count it in like by one person instead of like, oh, I'm going to get, excuse me, I'm going to get 50,000 people to read a story or buy my book, which would make me a very good selling book. No, I'm going to go one by one. That's another one. That's another one. And not only that, I don't go for just the one. I, I don't just go for the one person getting this one thing about me. I want them to consume everything that I do, the podcast, the books, the articles, the newsletter that I do, uh, appearances that I do, one by one. And so you have to see this as a long process, not something that's going to be immediate gratification. Yeah. Okay. I like that um, you said it's fun. It's dumb. Because, you know, that, yeah. that, that perfectly aligns with the whole Twitter's not a real place, right? 
I, I like that idea that people don't take things so seriously on there when people when a lot of people take it way too seriously and see that Twitter is like real life and you know just real life is just existing to feed ah. Twitter, right? Um, yeah, exactly. But you you know you should be able to stand by it. So if someone once hit me up and said like, "Hey, you talked all this trash on me on Twitter," I'm like, "Yeah, I did. Come on, it's Twitter. We're 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 play acting. It's like those old um, uh, Warner Brother cartoons with with Ralph the Wolf and Sam the Sheepdog, where you they show up to work. Morning, Ralph. Morning, Sam. They spend the whole day just fighting each other, and then at the end they leave with their lunch pails. See you tomorrow, Sam. Like you have a role to play on Twitter. You are elevated. You're an elevated fool, and that's one thing I see about. <laughs> myself it's like i'm not gonna make myself to be some like oh this someone above the fray or this like uh you know a somber person no i'm a nerd i'm a nerd i'm and there i'm like uber nerd and that's fine i i can live with that <laughs> that's great um so obviously as a columnist for the los angeles times you uh, have your nose on the ground in all things journalism uh how what's your take on the quality of journalism coming out these days and and has it been affected beyond repair uh, these days due to cutbacks and and changes in the uh, journalism environment no look the journalism that's out there it's incredible it always will be because there's people who are true believers in that and so they do stuff like for my colleagues at the LA Times for instance uh, a couple of days before the, uh, you know us doing this was the horrible Monterey Park massacre yeah. and so we've had dozens of reporters just on the ground telling the stories of the victims telling the stories of Monterey Park just telling all of those stories and it's as high as quality as you'll ever find um sadly there's not nearly enough journalism and what i mean by journalism is journalism as a profession in other words jobs that pay well jobs that provide some sort of financial security for the practitioners because when you have that financial security that allows you to really be able to like you know i hate to use this jargon but to dig into communities dig into stories that otherwise we could all give out for free just by doing our own hot takes or even like, you know, the early 2000s, it was bloggers. Now it's newsletters or what you have on Instagram, these so-called community journalists. And a lot of them do like they'll do stuff and they, I think they do interesting and important stuff even sometimes, but there should be a way to make, to monetize this. There should be a way for people to be able to get paid for that. And that's, what's disappearing when you have big organizations laying off thousands of people in journalism it's just been nothing but cutbacks for the past 20 years really and no one you know i have i have my own theories on why a lot of organizations just seem reticent to want to adapt it's not even about adapting to whatever's next i'm still of the opinion that people will always come to you if you have stories worth telling it doesn't, but if you don't have a story to tell, it doesn't matter what format you're doing it as a podcast, as video, as uh, TikTok. People, people might come to you initially, but if there's no substance there repeatedly, mm. uh, they're not going to come back. They're just going, they're going to reject you. And it seems sadly, in uh, I, I think the biggest mistake in journalism, and I get it, this from the past, but just doing journalism so it could be seen in other words clickbait in other words oh we want to get all like x amount of circulation or x amount of views i get it you got to pay the bills but the views and the clicks will pay for themselves if you tell stories that are worthwhile that bring people to bring that up don't go just for if if all you're chasing are clicks then 
yeah, you're going to get cut back sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, before we started recording, I was telling you about a story that I loved that you did about the Latino community and their love of Morrissey. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and, and you said that that was one that just keeps going around, right? That there's these eternal stories. And uh, what, what are some of the other ones that just people, even if they have never heard of you before, might have just come across their desktop like, oh, that one, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, nowadays it's, oh, he's the guy who said In-N-Out is overrated. Oh. So I did an article for Alta Journal where, where I'm a contributing editor. Um, this was 2019, I believe. And it like on Twitter, I would just go randomly like, look, I think In-N-Out is delicious. If I have a chance to eat In-N-Out, I will eat In-N-Out. I also don't think it's this miraculous company, the greatest burger in human history. <laughs> and so I would call it overrated. So my editor at the time, he's like, you should do an essay about that. I'm like, really? About how I think In-N-Out's overrated? Like, all right, I'll do it. Oh, my gosh. It has never I, – I, <laughs> when I die, my tombstone will say <laughs> – he thought In and Out was overrated, even more so than Morrissey at this point. But still, the Morrissey article I did tw uh, over twenty years ago, I recently redid sort of an update about it for Alta. Um, but it's like that's when you know you hit magic. And I do know that the that um, the In and Out piece that I did for Alta at the time was the most story they had ever done. I've been eclipsed by other ones, and it was definitely something that just went viral. And now you're seeing. Uh, and for me also, what you want to do is a story that doesn't just get read, but then that other people start basically ripping it off and then it lives on in that sense. And I think that's that's the mark of a great reporter is those people who tell the stories because that means you're a trendsetter. Like trends are trends. People follow, people follow other people in what they do because they see them doing something that they like. So same thing with reporters, same thing with media, same thing with you know advertising campaigns for that matter. If something works, then you're you're gonna have replicants trying to get that magic, and so I pride myself in being able to do those types of stories that are what I would call talkers. These are the ones that people share with each other, whether they like it or not. By the way, yeah. uh, I don't. For me, I don't care if you like me or you hate me, as long as you read me, as long as you listen to me, and as as, as long as you see me. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, I, the in and out take now. <laughs> I, this is something, you know, there's things people say in private, and there's things that they say publicly. And this is the kind of thing I've heard people say in private, but it's like, you know what? But you don't say it out loud. You know why? Because yeah. as, as somebody from the L.A. area, in and out is our pride. And maybe amongst each other, we can say, you know what? Some people go, I don't <laughs> like their fries, right? But the moment yeah. you take that discussion out of the LA area, and you, you say it to somebody in Texas who's all into Whataburger or whatever, and you're saying like an actual LA person is besmirching in and out. I feel like, you know, that's like telling tales outside the family. You know, you can keep, <laughs> you got to keep it in the family with that. That's funny. You see, my job as a reporter is to report the truth. And so I am beholden, and I've been criticized by that, by about that in the past, especially when I write about Latinos, uh, politicians, oh. corruptions, or this, this, and that. Not just Latinos, some other stories. People say like, hey, you shouldn't do that because that opens us up to criticism. And my response to that is, well, if it opens us, if it opens us up to criticism, that's a good thing because these conversations need to be had, whether it is in and outs overrated or whether there is too much, uh, uh, too much of an adherence to ethnic politics in you know in in the communities of color that's what i would say especially as a columnist like when you're a reporter 
you just do the who, what, when, where, why. You just lay out the facts. You don't make no particular argument about it. You just tell the story and that's that. But as a columnist, your job is to have an opinion on stuff. I personally don't try to put opinions. I still think of myself more as a reporter than, I mean, look, I have opinions on everything, of course, but like I'm going to tell a story and I want to stick to it. If I want to put in my my proverbial two cents in there, then I will. And I have, and I reserve that right. But otherwise, like here, here's a story that I found. You want to ask me about it, what I think? I'll tell you. But other than that, like, you know, you want my takes? You'd be surprised. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank Gustavo for coming on the PR360 podcast. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, I, I would have gone on another two hours if uh, <laughs> if they let me. No. Uh, so sure. what? where can people find you? Uh, what's, what's some stuff that they should read by you? Uh, what's, the, you know, how do they get your book? The best way to keep in contact with me is to sign up to my newsletter. I send it out once a week, every Saturday morning. Uh, so you go to my website, gustavoariano.org, and my newsletter, I'll give like a little tale, usually like a parable or something like that. I'll put a song of the week, a quote of the week, an article of the week that I liked, and then I'll list all the places. Either I'll, I'll list any upcoming appearances, public appearances. I'll list any any media conversation that I was involved in, like, you know, my a story of mine was cited, any podcast that I've been in, like this podcast, of course, I'll, I'll put up once it's up, and then any articles that I did for the week. So that's the easiest way. I mean, of course, I'm on social media, so you can follow me there, Twitter, at Gustavo Ariano, Instagram, Gustavo underscore Ariano. I have a YouTube channel as well. I think that one is Gustavo Ariano OC. Yeah, that's the one, you, you know, the youtube.com forward slash Gustavo Ariano OC. But honestly, the best way, just sign up for that newsletter. All right. Fantastic. That's GustavoAriano.org. I did my best with the L's there. and You were perfect. I thank you for coming on the PR360 podcast. Hopefully, uh, we'll come back again. Anytime. Gracias. Thank you. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.